Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. Let me flex for a little bit. Let me flex some knowledge with you guys. I came across this this last week. Uh, this thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Who knows what this is? Uh, so some of you guys, half the room knows about this. I've never heard about it until this last week. Someone told me about it, so I went and researched it. And uh, it's a psychology thing. It's about motivation. Uh, Abraham Maslow is the guy who came up with it in 1934. And he developed this theory. Uh, simple diagram here. It's a pyramid uh, of our needs. You know, when the, We need to get the base foundation needs before we can progress Upwards. So you can see there at the bottom is the most foundational, physiological. Actually, if you go to the second diagram, there's more uh, detail. So I'll read off this one. Physiological, food, water, warmth, rest, safety, our security and safety, belongingness, belongingness and love needs, intimate relationships, friends, esteem needs, so prestige of feeling of accomplishment, your self-esteem, and self-actualization. And when you're there, you're, you're progressing. You're thinking about achieving your fullest potential, your, your, you know, at your best, your flourishing creative activities, that sort of thing. That's, a, that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Once you get the, the bottom foundational needs, you can slowly progress upwards. And that's what a healthy, in a sense, a healthy human being looks like. Now, that was developed in 1934. But you get the idea, right? And I think, you know, it makes sense to some degree, right? Like you need to have food, water, warmth, and rest, like your, your needs met before you can feel safe and secure. And then when you feel safe and secure and, and you're well-fed, then you can pursue intimate relationships, but perhaps romance. You know, if you're going on a date, you want to make sure you, you dress well, you have clothes on your back, you want to make sure you smell nice, or you have a shower, you want to make sure that you're, you're not hangry because you want to put your best foot forward, right? So you're on a date, of course, you want to have some of your physiological and safety needs met. So it makes sense, right? I mean, let's... Let's be honest, I think when we look at that, uh, at its basic, these are our human needs. This is what it looks like. Now, that's Maslow's hierarchy in 1934, right? Now, when we come to this Bible passage, we read in Mark chapter 2, we hear this uh, recount of, of this incident where Jesus meets a man that's got physiological needs. And, and it makes us all, he makes us ask this question, is this, is this our greatest need? Is it the greatest need to have our physiological needs like food, shelter, and health? Is it our greatest need to have our safety, security, and safety needs met? Or is it something else? What we read here in Mark chapter is really interesting, isn't it? Because it's a recount of what happened with this paralytic, this, this paralyzed man. And Jesus shows us something amazing. He shows us there is a, a greater need that every human being has that only he can fix. Every single human, uh, every single human needs this. Uh, we look at this and it, and it makes sense, but what if there's something deeper? Now that's Maslow's, right? Let's get into what chapter 2 tells us our greatest need. And let's, let's read it. What, you know what I want to do? I'm going to read this story and tell it in my own words. Let's do that. All right. Let, it'll be helpful to have your Bibles open so you know I'm not just making up stuff. I am going to make up some stuff, but let's, let's get into it. First, let's understand the story, right? We want to understand the gravity of it. Uh, we're going to, let me explain something. Jesus at this point, he's told, we're told that he returns to Capernaum, right, a little city, uh, most likely to Peter's home. So he goes, he's returned home. Uh, Peter is the one telling the story to Mark. He's the author. Uh, Mark is recounting the story from Peter's perspective. So Peter says, Jesus has come home. Uh, Jesus is, uh, Peter is one of Jesus' 12 apostles, right? 
He's been out traveling to nearby villages, preaching the word. He comes back home, a crowd gathers, right? No time to sit down, have a glass of wine. No, crowd gathers at the house. They're packed in like sardines, we're told. There's no room. Uh, you have to listen from the courtyard or the street outside to just to hear this man preach. That's what he does. Jesus comes. His primary role is to preach. Preach the word to the people, to the crowds, to tell them, like we heard last week, that the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. That's the message we heard last week. That's what Jesus comes to do. Now, word has spread about Jesus. He's in town, uh, and he's got this reputation of healing people. Now, let's put ourselves in the shoes of first century uh, Israel, right? You got, you're a guy, and you've heard about this guy, Jesus, who's, who's a miracle worker. He can heal people and do all these great things. And you start thinking, actually, I've got a friend who's, who's a paraplegic. He's paralyzed. He, he, he can't walk. You know what? We should, you know, we should get him in front of Jesus. You know, and, and we, we, you know, thinking about first century you know, Israel, there's no, there's no wheelchairs, right? This guy's on a mat. Uh, for his livelihood, most likely him, uh, his family or his friends have to carry this mat to the city gate or wherever so that he can beg and make money. That's, how, that's his work. He can't do anything else. He can only lie on a mat. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed for. It could have been all his life or just you know, maybe in his adulthood he, he got in an accident. We don't know. Jesus is in, town, is in town though. So let's get our friends together. Let's get four friends. Let's, uh, with four other, three others, let's go and take our paralyzed friend. Let's go see Jesus because Jesus can heal heal this guy. But you rock up to the house where Jesus is, and it's packed. It's so packed, the crowd is spilling out onto the street, and you're thinking, how can I get close to Jesus? There are so many people, there's always crowds around Jesus for some reason. It's this famous guy. So one of the friends goes, hey, let's, let's go to the roof. Maybe if we go to the roof, we can dig our way down and just get in front of Jesus like that. Now, you've got to remember, our archaeology sites you know, tell us that the houses in Capernaum back then, they were, they were generally like a, a square type of house. They had stairs on the outside. And if you go up the stairs, you go to the roof. And the roofs are made out of uh, you know, cross beams with some, some thatch and some mud, right? So there's like an earthy sort of roof. And you can actually walk on the roof. So then you can you know, hang your washing up there, have a beer under the stars, that sort of thing. You just chill on your roofs, right? Sounds nice, right? And a lot of you guys do that if you live in apartment blocks, you chill on the roof. Uh, so that's what's happened. They go, okay, let's go to the roof and let's, let's dig. Let's dig a hole. Maybe that's the only way we can get in front of Jesus. Imagine if you're on, inside the house at this point. You start hearing this, this, this scratching noise, like this thudding. What the heck is going on? Like, you know, I, I don't know if you guys ever had possums in your roof and that you're just like, what is going on? There's something in the ceiling. It's scary. Um, but it's not just a scratching. All of a sudden, dust and dirt starts falling down and uh, it's getting into your long wavy hair and you get really annoyed because you just washed your hair last night and it takes ages to wash and dry your long hair but it's also disrupting right it's disrupting Jesus he's preaching here and I'm, I can imagine if I was Jesus preaching and and there's there's a hole being formed in this what is going on and then the sunlight comes through and a head pops out you you know it, it's, it's uh, and then, <laughs> I, I'm just imagining that. And then a, a stretcher comes down, and there's a man, a paralyzed man on the mat that's laid before Jesus. And you're there, you're going, you know, you're one of the friends, and you're thinking, well, this is it. We finally did it. My friend's in front of Jesus. What's Jesus going to do? And everyone's in the crowd, like, what's Jesus going to do? Get your phones out, right? Let's, let's, let's record this. Let's put, put this on TikTok. It's going to blow up, right? But what does Jesus do? Jesus says to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's it. Jesus, can't you see that my friend's paralyzed? 
Is that, isn't that plainly obvious? They can't walk? What, why? what sins are forgiven? Why? 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 And there's a group of people in the crowd, and they're making this face, probably like, real, like camera, zoom in on this, right? Like, really judgy. All right, that's my normal face. Anyways, uh, really judgy, right? <laughs> and Jesus feels the vibe. He's like, I know what you guys are thinking. I know what's going on in your heart, right? Who can forgive sins? Only God can do that. Who does this guy think he is? Forgiving sins. Jesus picks up that vibe. What does he say? He actually says them without them even needing to say anything. He says, what's easier? To say that this, to this paralyzed man your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. You know, I want you to know that I am the son of man who has authority to do that, to forgive sins. So, you know what? I'll do it. I tell you, and he says this to the man, get up, take your mat and walk. And that's what happens. You're thinking, wow. You know, it's like, like Jesus just, this is the moment where everyone's going, whoa, just, what just happened? Jesus drops the mic, you know, and the crowd goes wild. The man's healed. Everyone is amazed, we're told. And that's what happens. That's the story. It's dramatic. <laughs> Imagine being there. It would have been so dramatic. And with the drama, there's so much happening that, that, that we need to understand. Right? Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did he forgive sins first? Why was that important for Jesus? My friends were so determined, weren't they? They went to great lengths. They dug a hole in someone else's roof. It's probably going to have to pay for damages later. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That's not what we came for. That's not what we went to all this effort for. Jesus knows something about this man. Something his friends don't know either. The man has a greater problem than his paralysis. And some people, we, 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 go to, we think about this and we're like, Jesus, that's, that's not very nice. His greatest need is that he needs to walk again. I can understand people think that's, that's sort of offensive of Jesus. That's rude. But Jesus wants them to know, and the crowd, there is a bigger problem in this man's life. And that bigger problem is sin. Yeah, Jesus isn't blind. He can see that this man needs to walk. I mean, everyone can see that. He's probably gone for years without being able to walk. And everyone's expectations and our expectations of Jesus, if we look at the hierarchy of needs, right? He wants, this man wants to walk. He wants his physiological needs met. He doesn't come for, for, for that spiritual healing. He's come for physical healing. And you can imagine being that man, paralyzed for so long. All your hopes, your livelihood rests on this miracle to be healed. If I can just walk again, I could go back to work. I can support my family. I can live a life full of, uh, a full life of happiness and joy. If only I could walk, then I'd be satisfied. All my future hopes and plans and dreams lie on this physical healing. You see, that's what we come to Jesus with, don't we? With our needs. And Jesus wants us to see something. Yes, he can heal us, but he isn't here just to heal us of our sicknesses and our infirmities. Not just to give us all our success and our dreams and our wishes to be fulfilled. But isn't that often what we do? We come to Jesus. Have you ever come to God and thought, God, if I just, oh, if I just won the lotto, <laughs> or if I just get that dream job, or if, I just, if my crypto just boosts, you know, booms through the roof, if I just get that relationship, that marriage, that love, 
that family, that status, that reputation. If I just had thousands of followers on Instagram, that passive income, that early retirement, man, if I could just be healed and walk again, everything will be okay. What are we doing when we think that way? When we come to God with those wishes and dreams, asking him to do that, thinking that they will satisfy us. Aren't we making them into our saviour? We want them to save us. If I just have it, then I'll be okay. Isn't that what's happening at the heart of it all? But here's the thing. Can they ultimately save you? Let's be real. You live long enough and you realise all those things could fail you one day. You, talk, you hear about it you know, with celebrities and in interviews. They say, oh yeah, I've got everything I've wanted. All my dreams have come true. But even with all the fame and success, I'm not always happy. I struggle with depression. There's things in my life that aren't always perfect. You hear about the people who, who, who finally get married. Yeah, that's been, they've been waiting all their lives to get married. They're, they're married and I've you know, married a lot of people um, before. And then six months, a year, two years, things start getting stale. It's hard, hard work to be married. The love they, that they thought they had, the romance, it's, it's, it's dissipated, it's gone. They're fighting all the time. They thought that if they just got married, everything will be okay. The finances, the relationship, the health even, they aren't all going to last forever, are they? They can't promise you eternal happiness and satisfaction, yet we bank all our hopes on them, don't we? And when we do that, we're looking for something other than Jesus to save us. And while Jesus has the power, he definitely has the power to give you those things, the power to heal your paralysis, he knows those things won't give you what you eternally need. Yeah, they might be good things for this life, 100%. A husband, a wife, family, secure job, income to be you know, generous with, a healthy body so you can serve others with. They're all good things. You can definitely desire them. Of course you can desire them. There's, there's no questions for the paralytic. Of course, his greatest desire in the moment is to walk again. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong to work hard and earn money, get married, have a loving family. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we hold on to those things so desperately, so tightly, that we fall into this belief, this trap, that if we just get that one thing, it'll save us. It'll fix all our problems. And we have to see that Jesus is the only one who can truly save us. And that was Jesus' primary priority, wasn't it? That's what he came to do, to be our saviour, to save us, to have our sins forgiven. The deeper, greater spiritual need is for spiritual healing so that we can come before God forgiven, reconciled. That's our greatest need. Let me elaborate for a moment. Jesus wants us to understand the gravity of our sin, okay? The brokenness that we, that we need healing from. Uh, if you're new to that idea is that we've got a broken relationship with God where our sin isn't just bad things that we do. It's actually the, the relationship with God that's been severed due to our rejection and rebellion against him. Living our life, dismissing God who created us the way, uh, and, and the way he's called us to live, to, to worship him, to know him. Jesus wants this paralytic, his friends, the crowds, to hear and to see what he's done. Sins have been forgiven. That's what Jesus has the authority to do. And it triggers people. The, the, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, they're there watching Jesus. They're observing him. And they're judging him. They're, they're getting critical. They're like, what? Who in the world does this man, this carpenter's son, who does he think that he is? That's blasphemy. You see, they know their scripture. They know their Old Testament really well, right? They're teachers of the law. The only one who can forgive sins is who? God. 
God is the only one who can forgive sins. And you, if you go through the Old Testament, every time you hear the word Messiah, you know, Jesus is the Messiah uh, in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, every time you hear the word Messiah, it ne- there's never any reference to the Messiah actually forgiving sins. That's only something God can do. And so these guys are thinking, wow, this guy thinks he can forgive sins. Only God can do that. And I don't blame them, right, for thinking that. I would be there thinking, who does this guy think he is? Does he think he's God? I mean, think about the offense of sin. Sin, who's the offense against? It's against God, right? Uh, so isn't it only right that God be the one offended? He's the one that can forgive? I mean, if I was to illustrate this, if David was up on stage, right, if David came up to me and punched me in the face, humiliated me in front of all of you, man. Oh, I got a black eye and it gets all swollen. And then Jeff, if you guys remember, Jeff, he was on the music. Jeff goes to David, David, oh, I forgive you for punching Mikey in the face. It's all good. You're okay. And David walks away and goes, yeah, I'm cool. I'm good. How would you guys feel about that? You know, you'd be throwing, you'd be throwing tomatoes at David, right? Hopefully, please, stand up for me. Like, you'd feel that way, that, that outrage, that injustice. Jeff, you can't forgive David on my behalf. I'm the one that's been offended. I'm the one that's been wronged. Not you. And that's what's happening. Only God can forgive sins because the wrong has been done to God. And so Jesus is doing something here, isn't he? He's making it very implicit, uh, an implicit claim that he is God. I forgive you of your sins because your sins have been against me. <sighs> the only one who can say that is God himself. He's making a statement, isn't he? He's claiming to be God. Jesus knows what they're thinking, and so he asks this puzzling question. What is easier to do? To say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and take your mat and walk? Can I ask you guys, what do you think is easier to do? Who thinks it's easier to say your sins are forgiven? Who thinks it's easier to say get up and walk and actually make that happen? Oh, okay, no one put up their hand. some people put up their hand to say it's easy to say your sins are forgiven, which is true on face value. To say those words, your sins are forgiven. That's easier, isn't it? Go in peace, you're fine. You, you can say that, and you don't even know if it's happened or not, because it's a very spiritual thing. Your spiritual heart has been, you know, your, 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 your relationship with God has been reconciled. It, it, uh, for, for everyone watching, it's just, oh, well, that's just some, some mumbo-jumbo, you know, that, that Jesus made up. Yeah, your sins are forgiven. That's easier. You know, so Jesus is saying, is, what's easier? Uh, at a physiological level, I mean, it's harder to get someone to walk. But let's think about this a bit more. You scratch the surface a little bit. Isn't the forgiveness of sins something really difficult? Most people, right, they live by the laws of God. To be right with God is to get forgiveness, is to, you know, uh, repent of your sins, to obey the laws perfectly, to purify yourself after you sin, cleansing rituals, all that. Spending your life doing good works that please God, doing it perfectly. Jesus is already starting to drop some hints here. He is the only one that can forgive sins. You know how he's going to do that? We know one day he's going to go to the cross. And on that cross, he's going to take our sin so that we can be forgiven. He's going to die for the sins of humankind. To be the savior of the world because it's only him who is perfectly holy, who is right before God, only him, the Son of God himself, can satisfy the forgiveness of sins for all of humankind. Forgiveness for us, for you, for me. 
but to fulfill the forgiveness of sins, to say, son, your sins are forgiven, it's going to take his very life. He will get arrested. He will get whipped. He a crown of thorns put on his head, nailed hands and feet to a Roman cross to be executed. What is harder? Peel back the curtain and you'll see that forgiving sins is harder. It's going to require him to sacrifice his life on a cross to be executed, to substitute his life for ours. Someone has to pay the debt for our sins. Someone has to be the substitution. The reality is if Jesus doesn't do that, our sins aren't truly forgiven because we'll have to pay for it with our own lives. The only one who can do it is Jesus, who can represent all of us as the Son of God. It's going to be him or it's going to be us. Our sin needs to be accounted for. We need Jesus. We need him to forgive us. We need his authority and his sacrifice to bring us back to God. Now the question for us is, who who do you think Jesus is? Who do we think this man is? And knowing who he is and what he does, how is that going to shape how you approach him? If he is the son of God who has the authority to forgive sins and has done that through his sacrifice, and you want your sins to be forgiven, you want to approach God and be able to call him God and have a relationship with him, let me encourage you. Put your faith in Jesus. Seek after a relationship with him if you haven't already. You know, if you're new to church, I do believe you're here because your friends or your family members, they want so desperately for you to know, to come before Jesus and to receive forgiveness, to receive the love that comes from him, to have a relationship with God. They want that so much for you because they love you. And they know that's the best thing for your greatest need. Well, maybe today the application from the text is that you need to be that friend. Like the four friends that carry this man on a mat, you need to be that friend who brings your friend to church because you want them so desperately to hear the good news, to receive what only Jesus can give, forgiveness and salvation. You see, the friends in the story play such a big role. They seem like... They, they seem like they're in the background, but they actually play such a big role because they're so determined to help their paralyzed friend come before Jesus. Are you going to be that determined? Will you go and, I mean, metaphorically, dig a hole in someone else's roof, right? Because you'll go to those links because you want your friend to hear about Jesus. You'll overcome whatever obstacles in your way. It's going to look different to the world around. People are going to look at you and go, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? But will you be that determined because you believe that Jesus can fulfill your, your friends and your greatest need? Spiritual healing. Well, maybe after this you need to go away and reflect. You've been a Christian for a while, but you're starting to lose, lose, lose what you first believed in. You're starting to lose your way with Jesus. And, and your greatest need in life isn't Jesus anymore. Let me ask you, what is, that? what is that one thing right now that's in your heart that you're thinking, if I just have this one thing, your life will be better? Honestly, no judgment here, right? I know this. I know we all get so short-sighted in life. Right now, my greatest need is that my baby sleeps throughout the whole night so I can sleep. Right? That's my greatest need. Jesus, please give me that. I'll be okay after that. But let's think about this. What is, it, what is it that comes to mind right now? Isn't it so easily, easy to be so blinded by our immediate needs? 
yeah, we want to be comfortable. We want wealth. We want to have more experiences. We wish borders were open so we could travel the world. We want to retire early. We want to have passive income. We want to have more whatever, the perfect family, perfect marriage. And we worship them as if they're going to fulfill us, as if they're going to save us. But let me ask you to look deep in your hearts right now. There is actually something far greater that we need, something far more satisfying and eternal. We need our sins for We need God. And I get it for so many. We look around. There's so many around in our, in our, in our friendship groups, on the street, so many who, who go through life thinking they don't need God. They've got their family. They've got money. They've got a good career. They've got whatever. They're making bank, security, success, sex, self-esteem, self-actualization. They, they look like they're flourishing in life. They've got thousands of followers, whatever. They have what they need. And we see them and we think, oh, there's so much envy. We're like, oh, I want what they have. That's, you know, we, we, we turn that, what do we call it? The good life. What rubbish. We get lulled into that false sense of belief, don't we? Because we're surrounded by it all the time. That those things will fulfill us. They'll meet our greatest needs. If you're in that boat, let me encourage you to dig deep. To see that there is a spiritual need, an even greater need, that goes far deeper than anything, even our physiological needs. As important as they are for us. See what Jesus came to do and who he is. I mean, it's so easy to think that Jesus was such some good guy, some good teacher who was kind and good to people, but we forget that Jesus' primary priority for us is that he came to see sinners forgiven. And he goes all the way to the cross so that we in faith could receive it. Earlier on, I, I mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right? It got theorized in 1943. That's when it first got released in a, in a journal article. It wasn't even a pyramid diagram. It was just his thoughts and someone else put into a pyramid. It, it was during a time of what war and economic struggle and a whole host of other things. And since then, that, that theory has been built upon. Changes have been made. It's been adjusted. Some have completely changed the structure of it. At the center, they put social connection. That's needed before anything else. You need social connection before you can have physiological safety, self-esteem, love, all that. Before you even begin to pursue those, you need social connection. But even with all that, even with all that revision and progress in psychology and science over the years, as important as they all are, and we need all those things, yes, in this life, it's only ever going to answer meeting the needs we have in this short life. That's what Maslow's hierarchy of needs does. It's helpful, yeah. But will we see the greater need we all have for spiritual healing? If so... We have to ask ourselves, how will you and I come before Jesus, if that's true? Will we just be another face in the crowd, a fan of Jesus, a critic of Jesus, or will you be a follower of Jesus? Will we live a life of repentance and obedience to him, trusting that he meets our greatest needs, the forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with God? Let's pray. Father, help us come before Jesus and help us see him for who he truly is. He is God, Lord. He is the God that forgives us of our sins, the Son of God that allows us to enter into your presence. He did that, Lord, by giving up his own life, sacrificing it. And we're so thankful for that. Help us to acknowledge that and remember that so that we can live a life that does um, repent of our sins, that, that trust in Jesus, the one who can forgive us. Help us to live a life knowing that our deepest need isn't uh, all, this, all the surface stuff, 
as important as they are and as, as, as great as they are to desire, Lord, help us to see that they won't fulfill us completely. We need Jesus. We need you. We need a relationship with you because eternity is a long time. Help us to have that big vision, that big view on life, a bigger perspective on life, that it isn't just this short, temporary, short, temporary high, but it goes on into eternity. And Lord, we need reconciliation with you. We need our sins to be, be forgiven so that we can have that, so that we can know you and have our deepest needs met. We do pray for this now. In Jesus' name, amen.